It's a great day. We start Colossians 3 today. So why don't you turn there? Going to be um, moving more fully into uh, the subject of um, sanctification and um, really appropriate for the Lenten season, that idea of, of putting sin to death, and we're going to really hit that next week, uh, but this is sort of uh, kind of laying some more of that foundational work in that process. So uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, hear the word of our God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, this was a uh, difficult text for me to kind of work through this week and make sense of it for you. So, let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father, for as much as our whole salvation depends upon our true understanding of Your Holy Word. Grant to all of us that our hearts, being freed from worldly affairs, may hear and apprehend Your Holy Word with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand Your gracious will, cherishing it, and live by it with all earnestness to the praise and glory of Your name through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> there are times when sort of a picture sort of becomes iconic, and uh, you can't help but think of that picture when that event is brought up. Uh, for many of us, the end of World War II often brings the picture of the kiss, right? The celebration, the, the VE Day parade, and there's the sailor kissing the girl. I cannot think of the Vietnam War without thinking of the picture of the little girl fleeing the village that had just been napalmed. When it comes to Hurricane Katrina, I have one of those iconic pictures in my head. I can't help but think of this picture, and it's a good picture. It's a picture of rubble the ruins of a home and its belongings outside of New Orleans, Louisiana. And yet the people to which that stuff, I guess, formerly belonged or currently belonged, I'm not sure which you would say since it was useless stuff, wrote, this is not our life. Our life is hidden in Christ. They had the capacity in the midst of their personal tragedy, and in a regional tragedy, some may even say a national tragedy, to recognize that though they had lost everything that most people hold dear, their life was secure. They were sort of living in this tension between um, 
the now and the not yet. This tension but the, that, is, that is kind of captured by the Apostle Peter in the second chapter of his letter when he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so he was thinking of them and us, by extension, as sojourners and exiles. And I think that really fits in with how Paul wants us to think in the context here of Colossians chapter 3. He doesn't say it that way, but that's the idea. That we are living, as Jesus said, in the world, but we're not supposed to be living of the world. Okay? That, I think, encapsulates what is going on here. And so the, the big idea this morning is that because we are united to the living, uh, sorry, to the risen and exalted Christ, we have power for a new life. And Paul's going to develop this in, th- in three ways through this text. <clears throat> and so um, for those of you who might think the first point goes on long, I know it does. The others are shorter. Okay, so... Fear not. They're not all of equal length. So uh, don't freak out. You're like, he's going on for a while about this. The first point of this is that raised with Christ, seek heavenly things. This is the first two verses. Paul is shifting from the more negative that he has been talking about at the end of chapter 2 to more positive statements, meaning, you know, instead of don't do this, he's now starting to say, do this, okay? So he's gone from the things you're not supposed to do, transitioning to the things that you are supposed to be doing, but he continues with the if-then formulation that we had last week. It's just a different if-then. This time he says, if you were raised with Christ. And so last week we talked about how we had died with Christ. We had died to sin. We had died to this world, but now Paul is saying, reminding them that they've also been raised with Christ. He lives, and because you're united with Him, you live. But in a different sense in which we lived before. And so Paul is saying that this is something, you know, it's past tense. You know, it's something that had happened in our past. But Paul is expecting it to shape their present And so it is also supposed to shape our present. The fact that if you are in Christ, you have been raised with Him, is supposed to make a difference in how you live each day. It's supposed to transform us in how we think about everything. It's not just limited to the resurrection. But we see, even from the text here, that it includes His ascension and it includes His exaltation. In a sense, I mean, this is why I had Mike read Psalm 110. That very first verse, you know, he wants us to live in light of the fact that we have this priest in the order of a Melchizedek who has been seated next to the Father. He says, you are Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. He's mentioning this for a reason. It matters in this context. He wants them to remember that that they are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, just as he had told the Ephesian Christians. 
chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so while we might outwardly look like we are powerless, we are connected to the one who reigns supreme over the entire created order. We're seated with Jesus. And where is Jesus seated? The right hand of God, where he has power not just to rule, but to bless his people. He he is there to give us mercy and grace and every spiritual blessing. And so if this is true, and it is, Paul says, therefore seek the things that are above. Now, let's be careful. Paul is not Gnostic. He's not saying that your earthly life doesn't matter because, in fact, later on in this letter, he's going to talk about earthly things. He's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about parenting. He's going to talk about work. And so he's not saying ignore those things. Okay, We have to keep this within the intended context that he has, that he has here. Okay, <clears throat> What he is saying is, is that because we are united with Christ, we have been made alive with him and seated with him, we are to seek these things that are above, and I believe he's referring to the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ from Christ. Remember, Paul starts off the letter to the Ephesians with the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the stuff. That's what I think Paul has in mind for us. Is is for us to have a heart that seeks those spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. In other words, as, as Walter Marshall says, in his uh, book, the, uh, the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, that we are to believe in Christ as alone sufficient and all-sufficient for your happiness and your salvation. And so, in other words, look up to Him for the spiritual blessings. Do not, in this context, settle for things from below or from earthly things, the things that he had already been mentioning. Rules and regulations. Rituals. Those sorts of things. And so I think here again, he's, he's a, a addressing the, the, the problem of legalism and, and trying to deal with sin in an earthly fashion. Okay? You know, um, self-righteousness dies harder than John McClain. You know? Uh, he, he survived terrorists and robbers and everything else in the, the now five die-hard films, okay? Self-righteousness dies harder than John McClain. And so he's dealing with that. He wants us to behold, to seek that which we have in Christ. There's an old story that I, I heard. I can't remember where I read it. But it is the story of a former sharecropper. 
And the man who owned the property did not have very many heirs. And, he, and so when he died, in his will, he left a large sum of money to the sharecropper. This was a man who had nothing. He was a former slave. And so uh, the, the concept of having money was essentially foreign to him. And so it didn't change anything about how he lived. Planting season was coming. And all the money was in the bank. And so one day he goes to the banker and he asks, do I have enough money to buy some seed? He had a fortune in the bank. And he's wondering if he has enough money to buy seed to plant his crops. We don't often recognize the vast resources that we have in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. We're like that guy who thinks life just kind of can be, oh, I'm forgiven. That's good. But we don't recognize what we have access to because we're united with Christ, and so we continue to live, in, in many ways, a substandard Christian life. And so we are to seek this mercy and grace that we need in our daily life from our great high priest who sits at God's right hand. It's amazing how Hebrews 4 kind of connects with this. So, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God precisely because our great high priest sits upon it. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so... The application of this is really prayer. But it's prayer specifically to receive the spiritual blessings that Christ has earned for us. If you look in chapter 1, if you remember back to chapter 1 of Colossians, the things that Paul prayed for, for the Colossians, protection, power, and wisdom, and bearing good fruit, that's what we need to be going before God and, and seeking. Those are the things above that we are to be seeking from Him. He, he, has, he issues a second command. Not only are we to seek the things that are above, we are to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Because we have died to earthly things. And so we're to think above, not just to seek that which is above, but to think upon, to consider these spiritual realities. The, the reality of our death with Christ. The reality of our resurrection with Christ. The reality of our ascension and exaltation with Christ. Of our future glorification with Christ. We're to think about these things. And here it's not so much the earthly things referring to <clears throat> um, rules, regulations. and you know, He's not so much, I think, dealing with legalism in this, this particular command, I think he's looking ahead and anticipating what he's about to write, which is the struggle with sin. Because often when we sin, it's because we've thought about it for a while. There's some sins that are, happen like sort of instantaneously. Guy cuts you off on the road and you get mad and you do something. You know, you utter some profanity and anger or you give him the finger. I don't know what you do. You may thankfully do nothing. That would be great, okay? But some, some sin is sort of like that. It, it, it's, a, it's a quick response to something that happens. But a lot of sin 
happens because we've thought about it. Remember last week I talked about what um, Luther said, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. Okay? Sometimes, sometimes we let him build the nest. We think about the sin. You know, adultery. That doesn't happen instantaneously. Usually you're thinking about that for a while. If you steal something, it's not spontaneous. You've been thinking about that for a while. Okay, you've been coveting something for a while, and then you decide to act upon it and take it for yourself. And so much, he's basically saying, don't think about how to satisfy your sinful nature. Think about spiritual realities that are supposed to change how you live in the present. Okay? So there's the shift. And so our minds are to be set. They are to be placed. They are to remain on these things above. Paul talks about it slightly differently in Romans 12 where he's, you know, he says that we are to be um, transformed. Do no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Your minds matter. What you think about matters. And if you're, you're not thinking about some of these heavenly realities, you're going to be thinking about how to satisfy your fleshly desires that are waging war upon your soul. It's all too true. Okay? And the only way we can think about these things is if we know about these things. Which means we need to read and think about Scripture. See? It's funny how it always goes back there. It's the same thing with the spiritual blessings we have received in Christ. You're only going to know about those as you read the Scriptures and you, you gain a greater understanding and appreciation for these things. And then you start praying for those things. That's much of the sanctification process on our end is being in Scripture and, be, and praying that God would work it into our lives. That's a large part of it. But it rests upon the reality of our union with Christ. And so we were raised with the exalted Christ so that we are to seek all spiritual blessings from Him. Secondly, verse 3, he says, Essentially, dead to this world, your life is heavenly. See, Paul's not done. He returns to the death of Christ, but he doesn't really mention Christ in that sense. Um, but he goes back to this and, and remember, reminds us that our death with Christ is meant to shape our present. This past event is meant to shape our present. Just like my past wedding ceremony with Amy is meant to shape my present life. I live in light of that day in December 2001. And when I forget about that day in 2001, I do stupid things. When we forget about the death of Christ, we live in a way that is inconsistent with who we are now. Okay? You have died. He brings them back there. 
to the death of Christ, but we do I died them. As Paul would say in Galatians 2, I died with Christ. And the life I live, I live in the, by faith in Christ. You know? So we died not only to sin, but we also died, as Paul makes clear here in Colossians, and at the end of chapter 2, we also died to the way this world works. And one of the ways in which this world works is that it demands that we have its approval. Not only do we respond to the siren call of sin unnecessarily, but Paul would say we, res- we respond to our need for approval unnecessarily. We are tempted to, think, to seek our approval based on what we do, how we look, how successful we are. It's like we've never gotten out of junior high. You know? I don't know where you went to school, but where I went to school... You had to have the right kind of genes. Okay, and back in the 80s, if you were a girl, you had to have either Levi's or Jordash. And if you didn't, poor, pitiful you. Okay, you know, and if you were a guy, you had to have the Levi's. And if you were, if you were cool, you had the Nike shoe sneakers, man. You didn't have those other things. We still, even though we grow up, sometimes we continue to look to the world for approval. Or we look for our our identity in worldly sorts of things. You know? Um, We try to root our identity in these earthly things instead of rooting our identity in what Christ has done for us. Here, Paul says to them, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I believe that part of what that means is that our approval and our identity are found in Christ who Himself is in God. This means a couple of things. There's a reason we read 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. First off, because there's that reminder that He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Because Christ has died for us, we are to no longer live for ourselves, we're to begin to live for Him who died for us. But in addition to that, There's that idea that Paul mentions there that we no longer think of people from a fleshly or worldly perspective. If someone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We have to reckon with the reality that we are part of a new creation. And so the old way of thinking about ourselves, just as the old way of thinking about everyone else, is to be gone and done with. We are not to be thinking about ourselves in terms of our position on the corporate ladder, whether how close we are to the bottom or how close we are to the top. We're we're not to be thinking about ourselves in terms of the color of our skin. That's not your identity. 
That's the identity the world wants you to have because the world wants to use that against you regardless of what color of skin because it wants you to either feel like a victim or feel like an oppressor. That's a worldly way. The world wants you to think about yourself in terms of whether or not you're a man or a woman and all that that means instead of thinking about who you are in Christ. It wants you to think, you know, get your identity in terms of whether or not you're married or single. And so forth and so on. And that is not where our identity is meant to rest because most of those things change. They don't matter. In terms of the new creation, none of that matters. What matters is that you're united with Christ. And so Paul goes in a, in a similar passage in Philippians chapter 3. You know, he kind of goes, you know, these other people, they're living according to their stomachs, and their stomachs are going to perish. But he says this, don't you realize you're a citizen of heaven? That's the identity that is intended to shape how we live as aliens and strangers, sojourners in this world. You're like someone who has immigrated almost against your will. Okay? You're there, but you don't necessarily fit in, and you're always longing for the place you came from. And so we're to be people who don't necessarily fit in with Tucson, Arizona. There's aspects to it we appreciate. There's aspects to it that we partake of and, and maybe enjoy. But we recognize that we, were, we are made and we are a member of something far different than this, our heavenly home, which will soon transform this earth. Our life is hid with Him. We're a part of this new creation that no longer lives for ourselves, but for Him who died for us. We no longer live for our passions and desires as citizens of this world, recognizing that those passions and desires wage war against our souls, as Peter talked about. We are citizens of heaven, and as a result, our life is secure. In other words, our future, our hopes... Our identity, it's all bound up in Jesus and He triumphed. It doesn't look like it, but He triumphed. And He's seated at the right hand of God. And so while we may look weak, we may look uninfluential, while we may you know, perhaps be dancing on the edge of, of a razor's edge, our life is secure in Christ. It is hidden in Him who is in God. And that means we are called to live by faith and not by sight, where Paul also goes in the earlier part of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know that while we are at home in the body, or while we still are residing in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are to trust that these spiritual realities that the Scripture says are true. Some of you lived, I think, through the Great Depression. 
I don't know how it affected you, but I know how it affected my grandmother. She didn't trust banks. Okay? And so <clears throat> when she passed away, one of my uncles, actually all my uncles, tried to get to the house as soon as they possibly could. Okay? Because they, they reasoned, there's money in that there house. There's stuff hidden under mattresses and cushions and who knows what. And, you know, She wanted to be able to touch and feel and know that her money was safe. Okay? She wanted to live by sight. We as Christians don't live this way. Our life is not something we can manage, we can control, but it is hidden with God. It's under His control and we have to trust Him. As hard as that is. So don't live like you survived the Great Depression in fear. And trust Jesus with it. Give it all over there. And so our present and future is bound up with Christ, not in our political party, not in our sports team, uh, not uh, you know, in our race or our vocation or any of those things. Which brings us into our third and final point of this. And that is to await the glory that is to come with Christ. Paul moves us from the already to the not yet. He's talking not about their daily life so much as what is to come. Paul does not have an over-realized eschatology. Big term. That means he doesn't think <clears throat> that we have everything that we've received in Jesus now as, as our present possession but he realizes that there are things that are still yet to be received by Jesus, by us from Jesus. Nor does he have an under-realized eschatology, which would mean that we get very little, like we're forgiven of our sins and that's about it. Okay. He says that we have a lot in Christ now, but there are some things that we await for later. That's the context here. I'm, I'm always struck by the irony when someone who's part of the Word of Faith movement gets cancer. I don't, I, I don't laugh at them. It's a, it's a horrible thing. But part of, they have an over-realized eschatology. They think they're not supposed to get sick. And God says, yeah, you are. You're wrong. So this week we heard about Carmen. I don't know if any of you even remember him. He was a, a singer a while back. Um, he's Italian, so I, I, I have that in common with him, but I don't have his theology. Now he's got cancer. Now he has to face the realities of a biblical worldview and, and make sure that his faith is rightly in Christ. And so Paul talks about when Christ, who is your life, appears. And so not only is our life hidden with Him, Paul essentially says, He is it. He's your life. He is the one who gives you life. He is the one who sustains life. He is the one who is the purpose of your life. Which is why to the Philippians, Paul could say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You think about that. Christ is my life? Paul would say, you need to think about that. 
You need to ponder that. But the statement also points us forward, okay, to, to when Christ appears. It points us forward to his bodily return at the end of time. There's something significant about this that Paul wants us to recognize. That our life, which is hidden now, will be manifest or revealed then, precisely because we will appear with Him in glory. Do you ever think about your glorious future? Do you ever ponder? I don't mean when you get the promotion or you get the bigger house on the hill or something like that. I'm talking about when Christ returns. We're supposed to be pondering that. We're supposed to be longing for that. Okay, because, because of that already not yet, because we don't have the not yet, we feel a longing for it. We feel like, you know, not quite complete. You know, it's, it's sort of like, um, man, when you get married, you think life is going to be like this peachy keen, man, we're going to be like this all our lives, and we're never going to fight, and you know, all of those pipe dreams that some of you may have had, and some of you may still have. And then you get to the reality of marriage, and you realize it's not glory, it's sanctification. Yuck. Okay? Well, we, we long for something greater. And what Paul is saying is there is something greater. But you're not going to get that until he returns. Now is sanctification. Then it's going to be glory. Okay? He's sharing his glory with us is what's going to be happening. It's hidden. We don't look glorious. We don't look special. But one day it will be revealed that we are indeed His children. That we are indeed glorious. and We will be made perfect. John says, talks about this in his first letter in the third chapter. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared or been manifested. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And so that glory includes, you know, right now we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, when we see Him, it's going to be instantaneously finished. Okay? Um, if this is you know, kind of who you are now, and the other side of this pulpit area is glory, being precisely like Christ, all of us are going to make progress. Some of us will, in this life will only get this far. Some of us might get this far. Uh, some of us, like Jack, might get like this far, you know, um, because he's humble. And he knows he has so far to go. Okay? But no matter where we are, when Jesus comes, we're all here. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You don't need it anymore. Okay? 
That's what happens. And, and John continues in, in that. The next sentence he says, and, and because we have these promises, we purify ourselves. And so not only is what happened to us in the past supposed to shape our present, but John says the promises about the future, and Paul would completely agree with this, are also supposed to shape our present. We're supposed to be preparing for then. We're, we're not supposed to be going, oh, you know, hey, I'm going to get glorified one day. I'll just enjoy the present. We're more supposed to be like the bride-to-be. Ladies, you know what happened, don't you? I'm engaged. I've got to diet. I have to fit into the dress that I want to fit into. You know, see, Amy was very lucky. She got Graves' disease. You know, she was, she had, she was hyperthyroid. She didn't need to diet at all, you know. Um, <clears throat> don't tell her I said that, by the way. No, you can say it. It's all right. But, you know, they, they, women will go on a diet. They'll, you know, of course, right before the wedding, you know, they've got five people working on their hair and their nails and all this other kind of stuff. Everything. They're making themselves beautiful for the man they love. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. We make fun of it because it goes to elaborate ends, but there's nothing wrong with that. We who are part of the bride of Christ, Paul would say, are supposed to be preparing ourselves for that wedding day. Not sitting eating bonbons and who cares if we shampooed our hair in the last six months. Progressive sanctification, moving closer. But we recognize that it is a work of grace and that the real work is going to be done by Jesus. He will make us beautiful in his sight. So we have not just the past, but the promises, and all of these are pushing us and pulling us to a glorious future. And so you and I, we tend to live for earthly things, and that can take many shapes, as many shapes as there are people in this room, perhaps. We look for earthly solutions to our sin. We can set our minds on earthly things for our satisfaction or our significance. This is what the flesh does. But we died to this world and sin with Christ. We've been raised with Him, and now we're seated. Even though we don't see it, we are seated at, his right, at God's right hand with Christ. And as a result, we're to seek these spiritual blessings from Him who sits on the throne of grace. We are to live in light of our new heavenly identity. Our true progress in godliness only takes place within the context of our union with Christ, our vital connection with Christ, And so what Paul would sort of say is, where's your focus? Christ who is above or anything that's down below? Let's pray. Father, um, I ask that like the Colossians, we may be filled with the knowledge of Your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of you, our Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in our knowledge of you, that we may be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to you who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For it is you who has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So may you do these things because of him, but for us. In his name we pray, amen.